you made it. <gasps> We're here, right? Merry Christmas. I don't know about you, but by the time I finally get to the Christmas Eve service, I just want to take a deep breath and just exhale. So just exhale with me. Ready? Just breathe it all out, okay? Work out all the kinks. I want you to know we have been praying for this night for months, getting ready for this moment, because we know, we know, history has told us that by the time you get here, often you've already experienced enough stress to last the whole year, right? A little bit of stress, the frantic pace, Probably you've already had a little bit of relational conflict, what we call intense fellowship around here at River West. Maybe you've had that. And so you roll into the Christmas Eve service and you just need a space where you can settle in and relax. And let me tell you something. We've been praying that this space would be that space for you. Welcome to River West. My name is Adam. I'm the pastor here. A very special welcome to all of you in the video venue. We have folks in the video venue areas and standing room only. But Merry Christmas. It's so great to be together, isn't it? What I want to say to you tonight is this, the, the next 45 minutes together has been curated for you, for your family, for your Christmas celebration our greatest hope, our greatest prayer is that over the next 45 minutes, you would feel safe, you would feel at home, you would feel that your heart and your mind are engaged and relaxing. And so what I want to do is I want to I have you grab that candle that you were handed when you walked in here. Would you just pull out that candle and, and hold on to that candle? I want to tell you a little bit of something about that candle. In about 30 minutes, that candle candle that you're holding will, will get ignited. Ushers will come. They'll come to the, the final candle that we lit, the candle which represents the light of Christ. And then that light, the light of Christ, will spread through our whole sanctuary. And it will be this beautiful, powerful moment. And you'll see this room go from darkness to in incredible light. All right? And a couple things I want to say about that. First of all, parents of children, we're glad your kids are here. But we want you to know that there's a couple things about a, a, a candle lighting. The first thing is, one of the things we say here around River West is, once your candle is lit, never tip a lit candle, all right? Especially over the shoulder of the person in front of you. Never do that, all right? Once your candle is lit, you keep that candle straight up, and then the person who's, who's taking light from your candle, they'll tip their candle, and then we'll watch as that light spreads to the whole sanctuary. But what I want to do for just a minute is I want you to think about that moment with me. Think about that moment when your candle gets ignited. That moment when there will be this astounding, really, an astounding transfer of heat and light and warmth. That candle that you're holding right now, it's, it's dark and cold and it's lifeless, but in a flash, in a moment, there will be this unbelievable transfer of power that will cause that candle to be ignited. And what I want to suggest tonight is that that candle is actually, it's a metaphor for something. It's a metaphor for the human heart. 
It's much bigger than, than a Christmas candle. This is actually takes us to the very center of the heart and the meaning of Christmas. Did you know, my friends, that you're not here by accident? You're not. God's greatest desire, the heart of Christmas, God's desire is to not just ignite candles in this place, but to ignite hearts with faith and warmth and light. A miracle, really. A miracle. See, I don't have to convince you that we are, we are living in a world that for some reason it has a tendency to just snuff out the warmth of human hearts. To leave us despondent, lifeless, sometimes even cold, disillusioned. Maybe you came in tonight and you say that, Pastor, you're describing my heart. My heart is broken. My heart feels cold. My heart feels unworthy even to be here. Did you know that's why we celebrate Christmas? The whole purpose, the whole meaning of Christmas is that at a point in human history, God sent into the world the one thing in this universe that has the power to ignite human hearts. It's perfect divine love. And tonight, for just a few moments, I want to I wanna tell you about that love. Will you hold on to that candle as I share? Just keep that in your hands as a, a reminder of why we're here. There's a passage in the Old Testament that predicted the entrance into the world of this power, this perfect love. It was written 700 years before Christ would be born, and yet it predicted with unbelievable precision the kind of person Jesus Christ would be, the kind of love that he would bring. It comes from a book called Isaiah chapter 11. If you have a Bible, you can open that Bible. If not, don't worry. It's Christmas. We're going to do something just for you. We're going to put the words on the screen. We've never done this before, but for you, we're doing it. So just read along here. I'd like to read to you now. You're not going to see the word love in these verses, but I guarantee you love is all over this. It's dripping with a God who loved a broken and fallen world. Here's what Isaiah said. Isaiah 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. 
Did you know, my friends, that the greatest act of love that has ever been demonstrated was when God finally sent into the world the perfect leader, the perfect ruler. When God finally sent into the world the ruler that the world had been longing for, aching for, after generations and generations and generations of failed leaders, miserable leaders, wicked leaders, God in love looked down on a world in darkness and he said, I'm going to send perfect divine love. And it came in the form of a ruler who would be perfect in every way. Now you say, Pastor, that's not, when I think of love, I don't think of a ruler, you know? I don't think of a politician for sure, right? I don't think of a king or a politician. That's not how I define love. And, and, and I get it, I get it. In our world, that's not how we typically define love. Our world has many, many, many definitions of love, right? And probably none of them have to do with a perfect ruler. We could go through this room and ask each one of you, what's your definition of love? And none of them would probably involve a ruler. And, and they would all be very different. There's no shortage of opinions and definitions of love in our world. Isn't that right? A group of researchers, just to illustrate, a group of researchers gathered together a group of children ages four to eight, and they had all these kids together and they interviewed them and they asked them this question, what does love mean? And you can only imagine the kind of responses they got from little children. Can I share a couple of these with you? This will boost your Christmas spirit. All right, these are great. Here's what Noel said. What is love? Noel said, love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt and then he wears it every day. <laughs> I like that. Here's Sarah, age seven. When you love somebody, your eyelashes go up and down and little stars come out of you. <laughs> okay, good. How about this? Love, this is Jacob, age eight. Love is when you kiss all the time. And then when you get tired of kissing, you still want to actually be together and talk. My mommy and daddy are like that. They look gross when they kiss. <laughs> yes, good. And I love this. When my grandmother, this is Rebecca, age eight. Kids tell stories when they answer questions. What is love? Let me tell you a story about it. When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. Isn't that great? Merry Christmas. <laughs> Well, then they asked a group of adults the same question, and you can imagine that they got a very different kind of answer. Adults, well, let's just say they get a little bit more cynical. So here's adult number one. Love is the human emotion that is caused by a chemical imbalance of serotonin in the brain. Okay. <laughs> Hello. The Christmas spirit just drained. Here's one. Love is a form of amnesia when a girl forgets that there are 1.2 billion other guys in the world. <laughs> Bitter much? I would say so. How about this? Love is nature's way of tricking people into reproducing. Okay. <laughs> All right. 
But here's the question I want to ask. How does God define love? I mean, that's what we really want to know, isn't it? It would seem to me that the person who created love should get the right to define it. And Isaiah gives us a window. God defines love as the perfect ruler, the ruler we most need. Did you know that divine perfect love, the love like what Isaiah describes here, always holds together two things in perfect balance, unexpected humility and extraordinary power. Think about that. That's perfect love. Not just one or the other, not just, not just humility. Humility without power results in weakness. I think of parents of toddlers. There's just absolutely, they can't do anything. They're out of control, right? Humility without power. But power without humility, that results in tyranny. And God says, but wait a minute, what if you took both of those two things, unexpected humility and extraordinary power, and if somehow they came together in the same person? And Isaiah says, well, there will be such a person. The most humble entrance into this world that you could ever imagine Isaiah describes it like a tender shoot. I'll put verse one up so you can see it. Verse one of chapter 11. He says, imagine a tiny little tender shoot growing out of a stump. There's no more humble beginning than that first little sprout of life after the dead of winter. You can probably picture it in your mind. You know, you're walking through uh, your yard or through a forest and it all looks dead. The leaves have fallen. There seems to be no life. And then suddenly, sometime right around the middle of February, you'll see these tiny, tiny, tender, humble, gentle, little shoots. So humble, so tender that you could literally crush one in the, between your fingers with no effort. And the Bible says that, that kind of humility, that kind of unexpected humility, that is exactly the way the most glorious leader who will ever live, that is exactly how he will come into the world. Born in the middle of nowhere, born to parents who are nobodies, born into poverty, born into obscurity, in a stable in a little town of Bethlehem that no one knows about, lying in a manger, the most unexpected, humble beginning to the most unbelievable kingdom that the world would ever know. Amazing, amazing. And he will be a king. You know that little shoot that, that, that Isaiah describes? That shoot is growing from a stump. Did you notice that? And the stump is called the stump of Jesse. Who's Jesse? Every Every Hebrew would know, wait, Jesse, that's, that's David's daddy. Jesse's David's father. This, this stump where there used to be a massive tree and now it appears to be totally dead, that stump represents David's line of kings who had 
failed. God abandoned them. He gave up. King after king after king had led the people into sin and brokenness and darkness. And God gave up on, the, on merely human kings. He said, enough is enough. And here we have a stump that represents the end of human leadership. But wait, there's a glimmer of hope. A humble, tiny, tender shoot. God says, perfect love. The, the kind of leader this world needs is a leader who will be humble, yes. But that's not all that Isaiah says. Not only will he be humble, he will have access to the most perfect source of power that the world has ever known. Verse 2. Put it on the screen. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This leader will be different. Yes, he will be humble, but also he will have this perfect anointing of God's Holy Spirit. In that verse, there's what scholars call the sevenfold aspects of the Spirit. In the Bible, the number seven is a picture of perfection, completion. This is like the purpose of this is to say this, this, this ruler will have the perfect anointing of power from the Spirit of God. So he's, he's the spirit of the Lord. He's the spirit of wisdom. He's the spirit of understanding. He's the spirit of counsel. He's the spirit of might. He's the spirit of knowledge. He's the spirit of the fear of the Lord. My friends, can you just imagine with me for a moment a leader, a king, a politician who had all of those things? It would be amazing. It would transform the world. And Isaiah is saying precisely, this leader, he will not need any of our worldly mechanisms for power. He won't do it the way human leaders do it because he will have the perfect anointing of God's spirit, a source of power that no earthly king has ever had. Last Sunday in our church, we learned that from the very beginning, from the very moment of Christ's conception in, in Mary's womb, the Holy Spirit was there. We learned about this last Sunday. His, even his conception into this world was a result of God's Spirit falling upon Mary's womb. Luke 1.35 says, The angel said to Mary, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. His very beginning was marked by the anointing of the Spirit. And every moment of his life, Luke tells us, we're studying the Gospel of Luke, we learned, every moment of Christ's life, he lived in the power of the Spirit. He taught in the Spirit. He healed in the Spirit. He had the authority of the Spirit. This leader was different. He brought together unbelievable humility. And he coupled it with extraordinary power. And that's why Jesus is so unique. Do you remember the moment in the Gospels, even if you're a little bit unfamiliar with the church, there's a moment where a man who's covered in leprosy comes to Jesus. Leprosy was thought to be very contagious. You would never make contact with a leper. This man comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, I'm, my, I'm literally rotting away. Leprosy is a skin disease where your skin flakes. 
And he comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, if you're willing, will you make me clean? And Jesus said, I am willing. In an unbelievable act of humility and tenderness, he stretched out his hand and he touched the man. Amazing. But not just tenderness. Not just humility. At the moment of that touch, power was unleashed. And this man was healed immediately. Amazing. Unexpected humility. Extraordinary power brought together in one ruler. Can you imagine it? It would transform human hearts. It would change our world. Can you imagine the impact of that kind of leadership? Isaiah can. He describes it for us. Let me read just a few more verses. This is verses six through nine. It says, here's sort of a description of the result of perfect leadership. Isaiah says, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child will lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It's an amazing vision. Isaiah is saying, perfect leadership results in perfect peace. He describes what scholars call the end of the age, a, a new age that will come, a messianic age when Christ will return and there will finally be universal peace. And in this graphic, symbolic imagery, Isaiah describes creatures and animals that do not normally coexist suddenly lying down with one another and existing together in total harmony. And it's meant to be graphic and symbolic and captivate your imagination. Lambs do not typically lie down with wolves, right? That's a great situation for the wolf, but it doesn't actually usually go very well for the lamb. You don't see that very often, right? Cows and bears do not usually lie down together. You don't normally see children playing outside of the hole of a cobra. This is Isaiah's point. Leopards do not lie down with sheep. And Isaiah says, but this is precisely it. There's a, there's a day coming, there's an age coming. And why is it coming? Because I have finally sent into the world someone who brings together perfect power with unbelievable humility and that will change the world it will change our world it will change human hearts it will create a world where there will be unexpected peace unbelievable peace Isaiah says but there's something else happening here and I want you to see it Isaiah takes two images from the Bible a lion and a lamb And in an astounding moment, he brings these two images together, like, like complete opposites. A roaring lion and 
a lamb that has been fattened for the sacrifice. And, uh, and Isaiah says, I want you to imagine not just a world of perfect peace, but I want you to imagine an image of two extreme opposites somehow being brought together and held together like the poles of a magnet. And what is it that's holding them together? Isaiah says, a little child shall lead them. A little child shall lead them. This is amazing. This is astounding. Isaiah is trying to tell us something about the true identity of Jesus Christ. Did you know that in the Bible, the lamb is the ultimate symbol of humility? A lamb was the most tender, vulnerable, pure animal that there was. This is why the people of Israel thought of a fattened lamb as the perfect sacrifice for human sins, an innocent lamb. Isaiah says, imagine that, imagine a fattened lamb. But then imagine a lion. The lion was the ultimate symbol of power and victory. Lion was the the king of the beasts, roaring, majestic, kingly, powerful. Makes me think of that moment in C.S. Lewis's The Lion and the Witch in the Wardrobe. Maybe you remember this famous moment when Mr. Beaver is describing Aslan to Lucy. And he says, Aslan is a lion. He's the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Lucy, I thought he was a man. She said, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. He's the king. Amazing. My friends, it's Christmas Eve 2019, and here's the question I have for you. What would happen if somehow that image of a lamb, tender, humble, pure, and that image of a lion, victorious, kingly, powerful, what would happen if those two images came together in one person? Isaiah says, and the scriptures say, they have. That baby lying in a manger would one day grow up and John the Baptist would see him walking and he would say to his disciples, behold, the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Amazing. That baby lying in the manger was the lamb of God who who would usher away human sin as the perfect sacrifice. That baby lying in a manger would become would come to be known as the lion of the tribe of Judah, the ultimate image of a king victorious. And that brings us back now to that candle that you're holding. Will you pull out that candle? And let me talk about that in a minute. I'm going to invite the uh, the worship team to come up as I tell you about what we're going to do now with that candle. Here's what happens. Unexpected humility. Humility the humility of a king who was born 
to live on this earth a perfect life, a life we could never live for the purpose of going to a cross to take human sin upon himself like a lamb. But then three days later to rise again in victory like a lion, like the lion of the tribe of Judah. Isaiah predicted that perfect ruler 700 years before he was born. And why? Because God has a desire to ignite human hearts with faith and light and warmth and hope. And I don't know where you've come from tonight. I don't know where you're at in your relationship with God, but I know this, my friends, you're not here by accident. God loves you so very much. He's invited you here tonight to give you a vision of perfect divine love of the kind of ruler that you could spend the rest of your life trusting and following every day. And how I pray that will happen for you tonight. So we're gonna sing a very special song. The worship team is gonna sing a song that takes us to a moment in the book of Revelation where the lion and the lamb come together. It's a powerful moment. John finds himself in a vision in heaven and he's weeping because he's asking the question, is there anyone who's worthy to sit on God's throne? Anyone who's worthy to open this scroll that would bring, usher in God's final kingdom? And John looks and he sees no one who's worthy. But then an angel says, wait a minute, John, weep no more. And he says, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he has conquered sin and death. He's worthy to open the scroll. And when John looks, Revelation says, he doesn't see a lion. He sees a lamb standing as if it had been slain. And all of heaven erupts in praise. And so tonight the worship team is gonna lead us in that song. This song might be familiar to you. It might be new. If you're familiar with it, we invite you to sing along. If not, just enjoy this song. Will you bow your heads with me and I'll pray for you, River West. Father, how we thank you so much for Christmas. What a beautiful evening to be together, to celebrate. To be given a renewed vision, God, of how deeply you have loved this world. How do you define love? We learned about it tonight. A perfect leader, someone we can follow, a perfect ruler, humble and yet powerful, who in humility went to a cross to take away sin, but in victory rose again in power so that we could have new life. He's worthy. He's worthy tonight of our hearts. He's worthy of our devotion. He's worthy of our praise. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus, for his birth, for the meaning of Christmas. Thank you, Father. We pray these things together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Merry Christmas, Riverwest.